fans to episode number 169 of the Locked On New York Rangers podcast. I'm your host, John Chick. Ranger hockey is back. We got the exhibition game against the New York Islanders last night. Unfortunately, the blue shirts do come out on the wrong end of a 2-1 to score. But overall, I thought there were more positives than negatives to take out of this game if you're a Ranger fan. Uh, to begin with, I think you gotta give some props to the penalty kill unit. It's always a little bit of a catch-22 here because, yes, the penalty kill unit was great. The Islanders were 0 for 5 on the power play, so the Rangers killed off every single man advantage that the Islanders had. But at the same time, you don't want to be giving your opposition five power plays in one game. I mean, ideally, two or less would be fantastic. Maybe get away with three. But the PK really did step up in this game. They even killed off a 5-on-3 advantage for the Islanders at one point in the first period. And I thought Capo Caco looked really good for the Rangers last night. A lot of the analysts on MSG were talking about this as well. But man, he just looked so much more decisive with the puck. So much more willing to shoot. He was actually calling for the puck a couple different times last night and, and just letting it fly in the net as soon as he got it. I thought he actually scored. I believe it was in the first period. Yeah, definitely the first period when the game was still scoreless. There was a pass from Panarin. He passes to his right to Ryan Strom kind of in the center of the ice and then Strom dished down deep to Kako and Kako just let it fly. Kako was shooting from a really, really tough angle and he almost squeezed it inside the near post and unfortunately Varlamov just kind of I guess kept it out for a second I thought it went in and even the referee looked like he had to kind of go in for a closer look to try to see where the puck was so Kako coming within probably just a couple of inches there of uh, really threading the needle with that shot and giving the Rangers an early lead I would have loved to have seen Capo Kako score a goal here because he can really be an x-factor in the series I think that the long rest that he was afforded during this pause is definitely a good thing he may have benefited from this as much as anyone in the NHL just because he's been playing hockey nonstop for 18 months. So if anybody needed to, uh, you know, get a little bit of a break, I think it was definitely Capo Caco. And also the thing that was very intriguing as it pertains to Caco is, and we just basically talked about it there without really acknowledging it, Caco was playing on the second line quite a bit in this game. You know, he was getting some ice time with Ryan Strom and with Artemi Panarin in place of Jesper Faust. And, you know, you do feel for Faust a little bit because he's kind of grown into that top six forward role as the season has progressed. And he's done his part. I mean, look, Jesper Faust is not going to be a point per game type of player. That's just not his style. But he has gelled fairly seamlessly with Artemi Panarin, with Ryan Strom. But it looks like the Rangers... Maybe trying to catch lightning in a bottle. I know I, I use that term with Igor Shesterkin a lot, but maybe trying to take advantage of Capo Caco coming back fresh, going with the player who has more upside than Jesper Foss. And Foss isn't going to care. You know, if you move Foss down to the third line, to the fourth line, you move him up to the first line, he's not going to care. He's still going to go out there. He's still going to play his tail off. And like we've talked about all season with Jesper Foss, he's one of those guys that he never really feels out of place no matter what line he's playing on or who his line mates are. You know, he's just going to go out there. He's going to grind. He's going to take care of business and he's going to play his game and, and mostly positively impact the Rangers' chances of winning the game. The other big bit of news coming out of this one is that Mark Stahl left this game early after 11 minutes and 8 seconds of ice time, and 
it might be a little bit of a blessing in disguise because, first of all, it sounds like Mark Stahl is going to be okay and that he's going to be available for the start of the playoff series against the Hurricanes, that according to David Quinn after this game. But the reason I say it might be a little bit of a blessing in disguise is because it resulted in Liber Hayek probably getting a little bit more ice time than he otherwise would have. Of the seven defensemen, he was still out there the least. He was out there for nine minutes and 49 seconds. So again, small sample size, but I thought he looked fine in the time that he was out there. He certainly didn't look like a liability or anything like that. And listen, you know, if the Rangers are going to make a deep playoff run, there's no way of knowing for sure that all six of the Rangers' usual starting defensemen are going to stay healthy all the way through. So Hayek is the next man up. If anyone goes down, it's probably going to be him that jumps into the starting lineup. And if that happens, you don't want him to go in there to the playoffs just completely ice cold, you know, if he needs to dress in place of one of the other six defensemen. So, you know, definitely a little bit of a silver lining here. Uh, you know, Stahl coming out of the game, resulting in more ice time for Hayek. And again, it sounds like Mark Stahl should be good to go for the playoff series against the Hurricanes. And listen, Stahl has his flaws. You know, we, we've talked about that throughout this podcast, throughout the season. Uh, but I still want him out there for these playoffs. You know, he's a veteran. He has the most playoff experience of any of these Ranger defensemen by far, or any Ranger skater for that matter. So to me, it just sounds like somebody that you want to have on the ice when you've got a very inexperienced squad that's about to jump into the Stanley Cup playoffs, many of them for the first time. And in fact, if you look at what the probable starting lineup will be for game one as far as who's going to dress for that game, you've got nine Rangers making their Stanley Cup playoff debut. And when Brendan Lemieux comes back, he'll be another one. If Lemieux subs in for McKeg, then it will be 10. 10 out of 20 Rangers making their Stanley Cup playoff debut. And Lundqvist probably is going to be the backup to Shesterkin and won't even see the ice. So 10 of the 19 Rangers that are going to be active in these playoffs will be making their Stanley Cup playoff debut. So first of all, that's just crazy. But secondly, when you've got a player, a veteran player like a Mark Stahl, who's played in 100-plus playoff games, yeah, I got to believe that's a positive. And he can, you know, he is an alternate captain. He can kind of set the tone a little bit for these Rangers uh, going into the playoffs, many of them, again, making their Stanley Cup playoff debut. As far as the line combinations and defense pairings, it's basically everything that you would have expected going into this game and pretty much where the Rangers left off when the season was paused. But I'll just run through them real quick in case anybody needs a refresher or is just curious about the line combinations. So top line, Mika Zibanejad, Saren Chris Kreider, and Pavel Buchnevich. Second line, you had Ryan Strom with Artemi Panarin and Jesper Foss, although... Like we already talked about, Capo Caco was mixing in on that second line on the right wing in place of Jesper Foss. So those two kind of flip-flopped at various points during this game, which is definitely interesting and definitely something to keep an eye on going forward. The third line, uh, Philip Hedl centering Philip DiGiuseppe and Capo Caco. But again, you know, that flip-flop every now and then Jesper Foss was out there on the third line with Hedl and with DiGiuseppe. And David Quinn was asked about this after the game, whether it's possible that Capo Caco could actually start on the second line for Game 1 against the Hurricanes alongside Ryan Strom and Artemi Panarin. And Quinn said that it's pretty unlikely that he would start the game that way with Capo Caco on the second line. But he said, you know, based on what happens in the game, how players are performing, Caco uh, could see some time with Panarin and Strom. So that's definitely an intriguing idea, something to keep an eye on going forward. And look, Quinn's not going to just give it to Caco. He's not going to just say, here, here's your top six forward role that we envisioned for you at the start of the season. Caco's going to have to earn it. But I think this exhibition game, Caco with his performance on Wednesday night, definitely strengthened his case to see a little bit more time uh, as a top six forward. So we'll see how they kind of mix and match it. Again, it, it sounds like it's going to be a very fluid situation. And Foss has been great. You do feel for him being moved down a little bit to the third line. But 
At the same time, you could plug in Foss anywhere, and he's not going to feel out of place, like we said. And then, of course, the fourth line, Greg McKaig centering Brett Howden and Julian Gauthier. And as for the defense pairings, you've got the top pairing of Jacob Truba and Brennan Smith. That is followed by Adam Fox and Ryan Lindgren. And then finally, Tony D'Angelo and Mark Stahl. So those defense pairings tried and true, and Quinn staying with what was working toward the end of the regular season. I don't really anticipate any changes there. Obviously, if Mark Stahl is injured, that complicates things a little bit, and you probably see Liber Hayek jump onto the ice in his place for game one against the Canes. But all indications after this game against the Islanders suggest that Mark Stahl should be good to go for game one against the Canes. And the Rangers will just stick with these same six defensemen and the same three pairings that they've been rolling with uh, throughout this second half surge. And then, of course, Igor Shesterkin starting in net for the Rangers here against the Islanders, as I believe he will also do for Game 1 against the Hurricanes, and then Henrik Lundqvist getting some ice time at the end of the game. They basically split it evenly uh, halfway through the second period. Shesterkin came out of the game, Lundqvist went in, and that's basically how it rolled. Shesterkin, it's interesting because he... I mean, he stopped six out of seven shots. He looks fine and everything, but he really wasn't tested that much, which... Again, that's another one of those catch-22s because this is an exhibition game, and obviously, if the Islanders aren't getting a lot of shots on net, that's a good thing. The Rangers are defending well, and even when the Islanders did get shots on net, there weren't that many high-quality scoring opportunities. I think, other than the goal that he gave up, Shesterkin was only really tested once. There was a play where, I forget who, it's in my notes here somewhere, but there was a player on the Islanders driving hard to the net, and Shesterkin stopped him on consecutive shots, and then the Rangers ended up having to take a penalty to prevent a further scoring opportunity. But that was really one of the only times that Shesterkin was tested. And again, it's great that the Rangers were playing sound team defense and limiting shots and limiting scoring opportunities. But at the same time, we only have one exhibition game here to get these guys ready for the playoffs. And that includes Shesterkin. So you watching this game, you almost kind of wanted the Islanders to create a couple more scoring opportunities just to get Shesterkin rolling, kind of get him into the flow of the game and, you know, see him make a couple of really nice saves as he was doing before the season was paused. It's not his fault. I mean, he stopped the shots when they were there, but it's just unfortunate that, you know, he didn't really get to show off what he can do and just really get into the flow of the game. He went long chunks of time in this game without seeing any shots on goal. I mean, the Islanders only had one shot through about the first 12 minutes of the game there. So Shesterkin was just kind of chilling, but uh, it is what it is. I still think he'll be ready to go for game one against the Hurricanes. And then the Rangers, like all teams in the NHL, permitted to dress a 13th forward as well as a 7th defenseman, and they go with Brendan Lemieux as the 13th forward. He'll obviously be suspended for games one and two, and Liber Hayek was the extra defenseman. Today's episode of Locked On New York Rangers is brought to you by rockauto.com. With the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models, it is now impossible to stock all the parts you need in a traditional chain storefront. Why endure often pointless and seemingly intimidating questioning, like, is your Odyssey an LX or an EX, and have to wait while the counterman orders the parts on his computer, choosing the only brand his warehouse just happens to carry? You have computers with access to rockauto.com at home and in your pocket. Why choose to spend 30%, 50%, 100% more for the exact same auto parts at a chain store or new car dealership? RockAuto.com's prices are the same for everybody and are reliably low. They have everything from engine control modules and brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpet. Whether it's for your classic or daily driver, get everything you need in a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Write Locked On in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, 
all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. Just to kind of jump into this game a little bit, there were a couple of instances where Strom and Panarin almost linked up for a goal. Uh, there was one early in this game. This is before the Rangers took two penalties. We'll get into that in just a second. But Ryan Strom behind the Islander net comes up with the win, battling for a loose puck, and tries to get it in front of Panarin. Could not quite find him there. That would have been awesome to see those two connect on a goal and basically just pick up where they left off when the season was paused. I know with Artemi Panarin, you know, we kind of joke every now and then that, oh, well, you know, you could just put any two guys out there and, you know, Panarin's going to make superstars out of them. But you know what? Those two do have impeccable chemistry and Ryan Strom has certainly played his part this season. I know that his numbers are inflated a little bit because of Artemi Panarin. I get that. But if you watch these games, you do notice, I mean, hey, it takes two to tango and those two are always on the same page. Uh, they work just tremendously well together and, you know, Ryan Strom obviously getting a boost from playing with Artemi Panarin this year. But hey, you know what? Panarin, he's a Ted Lindsay award finalist. He is a Hart Trophy finalist. And he's out there every single night with Ryan Strom. So Strom clearly has something to do with that. And again, you know, they were close a couple of times in this game. But nice to see that that chemistry is still there. Didn't quite result in them scoring a goal, but they were close. And I, I think it's coming. I think it's coming in this playoff series against the Hurricanes. I must say, I did have some flashbacks to October, November, whichever month you want to go back to, which feels like, you know, 75 years ago, but... Uh, I did have some flashbacks there because of all the early penalties taken by the Rangers in this game. About a minute and a half into the action, you get a slashing call on Tony D'Angelo. He kind of had to do it because Matt Martin was going in hard for the Islanders. He had kind of gotten by D'Angelo a little bit. I mean, on one hand, D'Angelo probably could have defended a little bit better on this play, and then he wouldn't have had to take a penalty, but it is what it is. At least it's a penalty that you can somewhat understand. It's not an offensive zone penalty, which is driving me crazy, because if you're going to take a penalty to prevent another team from possibly scoring, you can accept that. You can understand that a little bit. I mean, penalties are going to happen. It is what it is, but when you take a penalty in the offensive zone, nothing drives me crazier watching hockey than that, but you know, D'Angelo, you know, at least here, you know, he's trying to prevent Matt Martin from potentially scoring a goal from the Islanders. And then, uh, you know, the Islanders go on the power play and Foss ends up taking another penalty. He basically tripped up Broussard. Again, he's trying to prevent a scoring opportunity. It looked like he was trying to lift Broussard's stick, but it results on a five on three for the Islanders for about 30 seconds. Uh, Ryan Strom made an excellent play here during the kill to deflect the puck out of the zone. Uh, just great stick positioning. He broke up a pass, and that's not easy to do. You know, five on three, you're really back on your heels. You really kind of have to uh, kind of sit back and kind of converge on the net. But Strom, you know, kind of an aggressive play here, sticks out his stick and gets the puck out of harm's way and out of the zone. It goes back to five on four for about a minute and 30, and the Rangers kill that off as well. So again, you know, like we talked about in the intro, Great that they're killing off these power plays. Bad that they're taking this many penalties early in the game. We don't need that against the Hurricanes, especially when you consider that they have some pretty lethal offensive players in that top line that we've talked so much about in previewing this series. Tevu Teravainen, Sebastian Ajo, Andrei Svechnikov. You don't want to be giving these guys opportunity after opportunity after opportunity on the man advantage or a five on three. God forbid. We don't want to see that. So, yeah, I mean, again, great job by the penalty kill. Just try to stay out of the penalty box if possible. This is also just a shining example of why you can't be taking early penalties because, yes, the Rangers did kill them off. Great job. But you had the Islanders back on their heels for the first minute 30 of this game. You know, the Rangers were, were buzzing a little bit, creating some good scoring opportunities. Pavel Buchnevich shot just wide. He 
nearly had the first shot and goal of the game. And then as we talked about, Panarin nearly set up for a goal by Ryan Strom. So the Rangers are swarming in the first minute 30 here, and then it comes grinding to a halt because you take not one, but two penalties, and then you've got to sit back on your heels and obviously defense first on the penalty kill. And, you know, it just kind of it takes away that momentum that you had early in the game because even though you kill them off and even though that's great, you can't continue to attack the, the way that the Rangers were attacking in the first minute and 30 here. So again, it is what it is. Just try to stay out of the penalty box. We don't need to be going back to October and November when the Rangers were just playing the entire game a man down. That's at least what it felt like at the time. Rangers got another scoring opportunity here in the first period. Uh, Brett Howden takes a shot from the high slot. Varlamov makes the stop. Varlamov had a really good game. The Rangers easily could have had two or three goals in this first period, but he was up to the task. And he stops the shot with his glove, but he does give up the rebound. And Julian Gauthier gets there. He tries to pull the puck across the crease and just kind of tuck it in, I guess, on the backhand it would have been. But it looked like Nick Letty just barely got a piece of Julian Gauthier, knocked him off balance just a little bit and prevented Gauthier from, you know, kind of completing his plan there of pulling the puck across the, the crease and just kind of tucking it home. And all I could think at this time was just how big it would be if the Rangers can get some of these bottom six forwards going a little bit, because you know, or you at least anticipate that guys like Mika Zibanejad, guys like Artemi Panarin, guys like Chris Kreider, even Ryan Strom, guys like this are going to score some goals. If you can get, you know, a Brett Howden or a Julian Gauthier or a Capo Kekko, if you can get one of these guys that's mainly been a bottom six forward going a little bit, then look out, because the Rangers already, I believe they're seventh in the NHL in goals per game, and if you can get some of these secondary guys going, man, that just jumps up even more, and the Rangers are going to be hard to contain against the Hurricanes. And then I thought this was a really nice sequence for the Rangers. There was an instance where the Islanders were looking to clear the puck, and Brett Howden basically stole what was going to be an outlet pass and kept the puck in the Islanders zone. And then a couple more times, you know, during the same shift, same shift here, the puck still has not come out of the zone. Adam Fox twice keeps the puck in and does not allow the Islanders to clear the zone. Again, it didn't really lead to any, you know, A-plus scoring opportunities, but just really nice plays here by the Rangers. Pucks that easily could have been cleared, and, uh, you know, Howden once and Fox twice keeping the puck in the Islanders' zone. Rangers out shooting the Islanders 8-1 to at this point. And then we get a fight, Brian Lemieux against Johnny Boychuk, and... You know, nothing too crazy, nothing too violent here. A couple punches exchanged, looked fairly even. And I thought, maybe it was just me, but it seemed like the linesmen uh, broke up this fight a little bit quicker than they normally would. And I don't know, that might be because, you know, there's an ongoing pandemic and they don't want fighting. It might be because it's an exhibition and there's not really any major reason for it. You let them both throw a couple punches and then you step in there and break it up. But we said on here that we thought that Brennan Lemieux might be visible in this exhibition game since he's going to be suspended for the first two playoff games. And indeed, he drops the gloves, gets into a fight with Johnny Boychuk here. And then at the end of the first period, the Rangers take their third penalty of the game to this point, but the Islander power play only lasts for a grand total of three seconds because they took a slashing penalty basically right off of the draw. And so the Rangers and Islanders skate four aside for a minute and 57 seconds, although nothing really came of it and the teams go into the break still scoreless. I did want to mention that I think it's a good thing overall that the Rangers got a chance to kind of play at all different levels of strength in this game. You know, obviously you have even strength, 
But the Rangers, you know, they had to kill off some penalties. They got the job done there. It's good that the penalty kill got some work. They got three power plays, really two power plays, because the one power play only lasted three seconds. I don't think you can even really count that one. But they got a couple of opportunities on the power play. They played down five on three for 30 seconds. They got to play four on four a couple of times. And overall, I just think it's a good thing that they got to kind of test themselves in all these different kinds of scenarios because all these NHL teams, all 24 of these teams in the Stanley Cup playoffs, they're only getting one exhibition game. And it's possible that an entire game could go by where you don't get to play four on four and you don't, I mean, I, I say get to play down five on three. Look, you don't want to take the penalties and spend a bunch of the game, you know, killing off power plays. But the silver lining there is that at least they got some work playing down five on three. You know, a lot of these teams in these exhibition games, they're not going to get that opportunity. And obviously, you don't want to be playing down five on three against the Carolina Hurricanes or any opponent in the playoffs, but it could happen. You know, it's hockey. There's penalties. There's going to be situations like this. You got to be prepared for anything. And I just think it's good that the Rangers got some work, you know, on the penalty kill on the power play, playing four on four a couple of times, and even getting a little bit of a taste of playing down five on three and killing off that two-man advantage for the Islanders. I think it's beneficial that the Rangers got to, you know, basically test their mettle in all these different kinds of scenarios, all these different types of situations that could occur during the course of a playoff series. Something else that I picked up on here at the beginning of the second period, we saw Ryan Strom on the bench talking to David Quinn, and Quinn was showing Strom something on one of the diagrams, and then the first shift that Strom's line had, Strom goes in behind the net and nearly sets up Panarin for what would have been a great scoring opportunity. Panarin took the shot, and it looked like it got blocked, but just cool to see, you know, obviously Strom and Quinn going over something, and then as soon as they're on the ice, there's that line creating another scoring opportunity and, uh, you know, nearly letting the lamp, nearly giving the Rangers the lead there. We saw Mika Zibanejad take a shot from the right faceoff circle, nearly lit the lamp as well, but it rings off the crossbar and deflects out of play. And then this was the best scoring opportunity of the game to this point for either team, really. Uh, you've got Panarin behind the net. He passes in front, and Jesper Foss had about three shots on net in succession here. Uh, Varlamov is basically sprawled out on his stomach, but he's able to use his pads to make a couple of saves, just kind of lifting his pads into the air and just kind of flailing, but he somehow kept the puck out. I mean, I was ready to jump out of my seat on this one because you really, I mean, as a fan, you really want to see the Rangers get that first goal. We've been waiting a long time for this, you know, four and a half months, and you, you're really anticipating that first Ranger goal. Hearing the Ranger goal song and, and you know, just being able to celebrate uh, the Rangers taking a lead here, unfortunately, it was not meant to be, but Foss, you know, getting a couple of scoring opportunities here, so that's also good to see. Like we said, you know, Foss bounced back and forth between the second line and the third line. He was here on the second line with Panarin and nearly took advantage of, you know, a nice pass from Panarin and a great scoring opportunity. There's nothing he could do, really. I mean, he he did what he can. He worked very hard on this play to get a couple of shots at the net. Varlamov, just a better couple of saves for the Islanders. And then shortly after this, Brandon Lemieux is high-sticked, but he also gets a two-minute penalty himself for embellishment and probably a fair call, but it results in another four-on-four situation for two minutes here and again this is not a bad thing that the Rangers are getting to do this that they're getting to get used to playing at even strength playing at four on four playing shorthanded playing a man up even you know again killing off the five on three power play it's good that they got to test themselves in all these different situations but during this four on four the Islanders end up getting a two on one advantage Adam Fox is back and he does a great job it looks like he's going to try to take away the shot but at the last minute uh, the Islander looked to make a, a cross ice pass and Fox just puts out his stick and steals the puck and this is nothing new and I tweeted about this last night and I'm exaggerating to make the point here I would imagine there probably is 
is some defenseman in the NHL who's better at this than Adam Fox, but show me a defenseman in this league who's better at defending a two-on-one than Adam Fox. And there's been a couple of times where not only does he, you know, if you're a defenseman on a two-on-one, the biggest thing you got to do is try to prevent the pass from being made because then at least the goalie is one-on-one with the shooter, with the guy who has the puck. You don't have to worry about some fancy give-and-go kind of stuff. You don't have to worry about a one-timer or anything like that. So priority number one, take away the pass. And Fox does that. But not only does he do that, it's almost like he makes the guy with the puck believe that he has an open pass and that he can dish to his teammate and it's going to be there. And then not only does Fox break up the pass, but he often just straight up steals the puck. Like, he doesn't just deflect it away. He takes it. He takes the puck and just skates it out of the zone. So just a fantastic play by Adam Fox there. Again, he's been snubbed not being up for the Rookie of the Year award. Uh, But be that as it may, um, you know, just a fantastic rookie season for Adam Fox. And it really is crazy to think that coming into the season – you know, I think a lot of people felt like, you know, he's ready to contribute offensively. It's the defense that needs work, but he's been just as good defensively as he has been offensively. So, you know, really, I, I can't heap enough praise on Adam Fox and, and just a, a brilliant play here, breaking up this scoring opportunity. Then the Islanders get another two-on-one opportunity. It kind of came out of nowhere. Bolivier received a, a really long pass through the neutral zone, and it looks like Bolivier is looking to pass, and Ryan Lindgren is there. He's the defenseman back for the two-on-one. He did a nice job taking away the pass, but I think Igor Shesterkin might have been, nevertheless, anticipating that Bolivier was going to dish to his teammate. Instead, Bolivier just snaps a shot kind of out of nowhere over Igor's right shoulder, and he gives the Islanders a one nothing lead, and that's it for Shesterkin. Lundqvist enters the game with 10.45 remaining in the second period. That was the plan all along. They were basically going to be in a 50-50 uh, timeshare for this exhibition game. Quinn obviously looking to get both guys an opportunity, and Overall, Shesterkin, you know, a solid night. Like we said, he wasn't really tested that often. I almost wish that the Islanders would have created a couple more scoring opportunities. Again, be careful what you wish for. You do want to see the Rangers playing good, solid team defense going into this playoff series. But I just wanted Shesterkin to, you know, face a couple more dangerous scoring opportunities and just kind of, you know, get back in the flow and be ready to go for this playoff series against the Hurricanes. So, you know, it is it is what it is. Again, it's another one of those catch-22s. You'd like to see Shesterkin get tested, but you don't want to see the Rangers giving up scoring opportunities left left and right. And, hey, you know, solid night overall for Shesterkin. Stopped six out of seven shots. And the one time, uh, other than the goal, the other time that he was tested was when Bolivier went in hard to the net in the first period, got a couple of point-blank shots, but Shesterkin was up to the task. He kept the puck out. The Rangers did end up taking a penalty there, trying to prevent the stuff in, but that was the one other instance in this game where Shesterkin was really tested, and I thought he did a great job in that instance. So, yeah, you know, solid night overall for Shesterkin. Lundqvist was quite a bit busier. He ended up facing 15 shots, stopped 14 of them, made some really nice saves. Rangers end up getting their first power play opportunity after Johnston takes an offensive zone holding penalty for the Islanders. Islanders have kind of a middle-of-the-road penalty kill, ranked 15th in the league. And the Rangers, I got to say, the power play did not really impress me that much on this night. Uh, Mika Zibanejad had a turnover here, rare miscue from Mika. He kind of just fanned on a pass. It looked like he was trying to get the puck to Artemi Panarin, but... Didn't get all of the pass. Leads directly to a clear. And just not too many dangerous scoring opportunities on this man advantage for the Rangers. And you just kind of hope that they have better luck against the Hurricanes. They're going to be tested against the Hurricanes. And for the Rangers, the power play, you know, struggled a little bit in practice recently. And again, I made the point at the time, you when you're doing an inter-squad scrimmage, it's kind of hard to have your power play and your penalty kill both excel at the same time. Because if one of them is having a lot of success, then the other one's probably not doing so good. 
But yeah, the power play for the Rangers in this one just didn't look quite as dangerous as we're used to seeing it look. And you just hope that that's a situation that they can rectify going into this game against the Hurricanes because they're going to be tested. Like we said, the Canes penalty kill number two overall in the NHL. They kill more than 88% of the man advantages that they face. And so, yeah, it's it's a big matchup. And the Rangers, you know, it could come down to special teams in this series. And the Rangers going to have to figure out a way to get it going on the power play at least a little bit. One thing I noticed on the power play is that the NHL seemed to be using a little bit higher of a camera angle than they usually do. They had this camera that was kind of positioned almost like a bird's eye view, giving you a nice look at basically the entire rink, and I liked it. I'd like any time one of these leagues plays around with the presentation of the game a little bit, and, you know, I saw this camera shot. It was kind of getting mixed reviews on social media. Some people liked it. Some people didn't like it. But I at least got to give the NHL some credit for trying something new. This is something I talked about in an episode a few weeks ago where, you know, these arenas are going to be empty. So you basically have unlimited free range as far as where you want to put these cameras and the different looks that they can give you at what's happening on the ice. And so why not take advantage of that a little bit? And again, even if you don't like this camera angle, I think you can at least appreciate the NHL trying something new because you look at the NFL, they never do anything like this. And I've talked about this very briefly in the past, but the NFL you watch an NFL game, it is the exact same camera shot on every single play. And it's been like this for at least 20 years. And the thing that drives me crazy with the NFL, not to go on too much of a tangent here, but they, on passing plays, they zoom in on the quarterback and you can't even see the receivers down the field. So when the quarterback actually lets go of the ball and throws it, it's like he's just throwing the ball into the abyss and you're just hoping that your receiver is open. And there's just a lack of creativity with the NFL's presentation of a game. But I can at least appreciate the NHL here doing something a little bit different, at least trying something new. Whether you liked it or not, I mean, that's your opinion. I thought it was cool to kind of see a little bit of a different angle. Specifically on the power play, you just kind of get a really good look at what's going on there. You kind of get to see passing lanes opening and closing. I enjoyed it. We'll see if the NHL sticks with it going forward. The Rangers near the end of the second period here, they do take another penalty. It leads to another Islander power play. And again, this is one of those situations where the penalty was on Jacob Truba, and he's trying to stop uh, Clutterbuck from driving to the net. And on one hand, he's trying to prevent a scoring opportunity so you can understand it a little bit. But on the other hand, you know, this is the Islanders' fourth line. You got to be able to break up the scoring opportunity without taking a penalty. So... Yeah, again, you know, it's one of those penalties that probably shouldn't happen. Rangers got to do a better job staying out of the sin bin, especially against the Hurricanes, who obviously have players that can make it hurt. They can score goals on the power play. But the Rangers do kill off another power play for the Islanders. Lundqvist made a really nice save on a shot from the high slot and steered the puck away. And then Lundqvist came up big again. D'Angelo had a little bit of a giveaway while trying to clear the puck, but Lundqvist squared up the shot, made the save, froze the puck. No rebound, play stoppage. So Lundqvist, again, you know, a strong performance here. I still think it'll be Shesterkin against the Hurricanes. You can't punish Shesterkin for the Islanders failing to create scoring opportunities against him. But it must be said that Lundqvist did look good in this game. And then at the very end of the second period, another scoring opportunity for Capo Kako. Uh, Philip Hedl wins a puck behind the net, and he dishes in front to Kako. Kako let it rip, but Varlamov basically just deflected the puck wide, and the teams go into the break with the Islanders still up one to nothing. We go to the third period, and the Islanders make a change at net. Thomas Grice replaces Simeon Varlamov, and I don't know if there was any kind of a debate as far as who was going to start in net for the Islanders, but I think you got to go Varlamov because, like we said, the Rangers could have had several more goals than they ended up with in this game, but Varlamov was just up to the task, made a couple of really nice saves uh, against the Rangers. And Brennan Smith made a nice defensive play here early in the third period, chipping the puck away from Anders Lee. It was kind of a late-developing odd-man rush, and Smith was trailing 
failing the play, but he's able to get his stick on the puck, knock it away from Lee, prevent a scoring opportunity, prevent him from even getting the puck on net. So a really nice play by Brendan Smith there. And then the Rangers get another power play after the Islanders get called for too many men on the ice and just not a good power play here. I mean, there's no two ways about it. They really just couldn't get set up. And even when they dumped the puck into the Islanders' zone, it seemed like they were just kind of late getting in there on the forecheck. I don't know if maybe fatigue was a little bit of a factor. I mean, again, we mentioned how often the Rangers were out there uh, having to kill off power plays for the Islanders. That takes a little bit out of you. And, you know, obviously this is the first real game action that the Rangers have had since the pause. So I don't know, maybe fatigue has something to do at this point. But yeah, the Islanders just really were not tested here while they were playing a man down. And then about 55 seconds into the power play, Panarin takes a penalty for holding Bolivier. Uh, Bolivier had the puck behind the Ranger net, and they were just trying to get the puck away from him, but Panarin goes off for holding, and so they skate 4-on-4 four four for 105. Nothing all that eventful happens on the 4-on-4. Four four. The Islanders get a power play for 55 seconds, and Truba made a really nice play here. He absolutely just drilled Anders Lee in front of the net right as he was receiving the pass. It's almost like, you know, in the NFL when a receiver is catching a pass over the middle and the defensive back kind of just times the hit perfectly. That's kind of what this was here. Truba just basically uh, laid out Lee, uh, knocked him to the ice, and the puck just kind of harmlessly uh, passed through the crease there, and the Rangers do end up killing off the power play. Truba had a good game. Thought he looked confident on both sides of the ice. Islanders make it 2 to nothing. Tay scores after receiving an elevated pass from our old buddy Derek Broussard. I'll start the campaign again, bring back Derek Broussard next season. I think he'd fit in seamlessly with this team. Uh, he sets up Tay's here. Tay's beats Lundqvist with 425 remaining to make the score 2 to nothing. but less than a minute later... Brendan Smith springs Jesper Foss into the attacking zone, and Foss gets around the defenseman. I believe it was Nick Letty who he passed by here. Uh, Grice makes a save, but then Foss, the rebound kind of goes right to Foss. He's positioned at the side of the net, and he just kind of flings it back in front to Philip Hedl, and Hedl just buries it. Grice had come over to the side a little bit, uh, trying to prevent Foss from potentially putting in his own rebound, but that obviously left things open in the middle of the ice. Philip Hedl scores, makes it 2-1, to 3.38 to go, and then... The Rangers end up pulling Lundqvist with 2.29 remaining. That feels a little early to me. I always hate it when my team is down by a goal and then you give up an empty netter with like 2.15 remaining because that's so much more time that you had to play just one goal down and have a chance at the equalizer. But the Islanders did not score the empty netter. That's the good news. The bad news here is the Rangers didn't really look all that good in the final two minutes here. There weren't really any scoring opportunities that I can point to where it looked like the Rangers had a chance to tie the game. And that's unfortunate because, you know, the Rangers, they've got some dangerous players. We've seen them tie games late in the third period several times this season. We saw it just before the season was paused when Buchnevich scored that game-tying goal with about 10 or so seconds left against the Avalanche after receiving a pass from Panarin. But yeah, there just weren't any chances to speak of here. So a little disappointing there. Uh, not so much that the Rangers didn't score, but that they just didn't create any scoring opportunities. And the game just kind of ended with a whimper and the Rangers lost 2-1. to one. It is what it is. This was not perfect. I think the Rangers need to step it up a little bit on the power play. They got to do a better job of creating scoring opportunities. And like I said, you know, the end of the game just leaves you with a little bit of a sour taste in your mouth. But I don't think it's anything to be too worried about. I do still think the Rangers have dangerous players, a dangerous power play unit. And I think eventually they'll start putting the pucks in the net. If it had not been for the play of Semyon Varlamov, I think the Rangers could have ended up with certainly three goals, maybe as many as four in this game. So Rangers dropped the exhibition game, but they're going to put it in the rear view. I think that's pretty obvious. And yeah, I mean, guys, we're on to the playoffs. This is freaking awesome. I cannot wait for the puck to drop at noon, game one on Saturday against the Carolina Hurricanes.
As far as the show goes, we're, this is the fourth episode of the week. We might do another episode tomorrow, Friday. We will 100% do an episode on Saturday after the game is over. Basically, as soon as that game ends, I'm just going to push record, uh, share my thoughts on it, and post the episode a little bit later that day as soon as I possibly can. So once again, you guys, thank you so much for tuning in. If you would like to get in touch with this podcast, please send an email to LockedOnNYRangers at gmail.com. Once again, that is LockedOnNYRangers at gmail.com. And be sure to give us a follow on Twitter at L. LO underscore NY underscore Rangers. Again, that is at LO underscore NY underscore Rangers. Now go ahead and tell your smart device to play the latest edition of Locked On NHL. Thanks again, guys. I'll see you next time.